Good morning. We are back in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 again this morning, so I invite you to turn there. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and we are looking at verses 1 through 14. And if you would also go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be looking at a passage in that chapter a little bit later on in the message as a cross-reference. So the text is 2 Chronicles 16, and later on we'll be looking, uh, or at least reading a passage out of Hebrews chapter 12. This is uh, part two of a message that I started last week. It's entitled, Beware of Backsliding. Beware of Backsliding. A warning from the latter days of good King Asa. I just want to take a few moments to review. I, I do, as I look over the congregation this morning, I believe the vast majority of you were here last week. And even if you weren't, I trust that this part two will be a, a help to you. But uh, I, I started off last week by giving you a definition of backsliding because while that word does appear in many of the English translations in the Old Testament, it can be uh, interpreted different ways in different contexts. So I, I took my definition of backsliding for the purpose of this message. I took my definition from the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, um, which is uh, substantially the same as the Westminster Confession. Article 17 of that confession um, addresses the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, uh, what is sometimes called once saved, always saved. And Scripture does teach that if a person is genuinely saved, underscore that, genuinely saved, God will cause him or her to persevere to, to the end and will take that child safely home to, to heaven. But in section 3 of that article, it does say this, they, meaning the saints, the ones who will be persevering, preserved, they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins and for a, a time continue therein. So the, the, the men that put together the confession as they studied Scripture, uh, they, they were drawn to the conclusion, the right conclusion, that it is possible for a true saint to, again, quote, fall into grievous sins and continue for a time therein. This is to be contrasted with those that we would say were apostates, uh, those who claimed Christ and for a while appeared to live for him, but then finally and utterly rejected him, showing that they were never saved to begin with. So here we are talking about a genuine believer. It is possible for a true child of God to lapse into grievous sin and to even persist in that state for a period of time, but God's Word warns us uh, against that. It warns us against backsliding. Uh, you and I, we're to go forward as Christians. We're to grow and go forward. We remember that Paul in Philippians chapter 3 talked about pressing on. He says, I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on. Um, so we're warned against falling backwards, sliding backwards. And we're warned by way of direct commands and by uh, the presentation of real life examples of those who did backslide and 
and are thus a warning to us. We think about King David. Uh, we know that King David was a man after God's own heart. Um, but we also know about the incident with Bathsheba where he committed adultery and then he had her husband killed. He basically committed murder to, to cover it up. And he remained in that, that hardened position for, for a while. He, he displeased God. He brought down horrible consequences on himself and his family and his nation. Um, but God in, in love sent Nathan the prophet to David and said, thou art the man. You remember that passage? And David repented. And most scholars believe that Psalm 32 that was written earlier was written um, in the aftermath of that where he had uh, confessed his sin and received forgiveness. And Psalm 51 would be um, one of those, uh, those psalms as well that he wrote after that incident. So David is a, both a positive and a negative example to us. Uh, we want to follow David where, where he was a, a man after God's own heart, but we also want to look at that period of his life when he, when he fell and backslid, and that served as a warning to us. Well, last week we started to look at David's great great grandson, King Asa. Um, he too was a godly man. Um, that is attested in Scripture several different places that he was a genuine godly man. But as we saw last week, he fell into grievous sin and backslid and, and, and back uh, was backslidden. And he is really one of the worst cases that we see in Scripture. And so his story stands as a, as a stern warning to us against backsliding. Um, it was in reference to another Old Testament uh, uh, historical period or account, but Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 through 12, now all these things happened to them, the ancient Israelites, as examples. In other words, examples for us. And they were written for our admonition or for our warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to beware of backsliding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being together today, and we thank you especially for the time that we now have dedicated to come to your word. Lord, your Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Chronicles and this entire book that we hold in our hands. And we thank you that uh, this is a completely true and trustworthy account, that these are facts, they happen, that this is your inspired word. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit who inspired this word would now illumine our hearts and minds and spirits that we might grasp the meaning and apply it to our hearts. Father, give us the grace to stand. May, may we have a, a holy terror of, of backsliding and falling into grievous sin. Give us grace to that end, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, last week we, uh, we started with point number one, which was the occasion of Asa's backsliding. Um, he, uh, he was faced with a, a trial, and he handled it wrongly. Let's just go back and read verses 1 through 9, and I'll trust that you remember uh, the things that we looked at there. And just very briefly, the historical situation. Remember that it, by, at this time, Israel was split north and south, that uh, in... Um, Let's see, in, in Asa's grandfather's day, Rehoboam, the ten northern tribes of Israel broke off from the southern tribes. So the ten northern tribes became their own kingdom. They retained the name of Israel. The two remaining king, uh, uh, tribes were Judah and Benjamin, and they retained the name of Judah. So you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, and the Davidic kings continued to, to reign in, in Judah. So Asa is the great-great-grandson of 
of, um, of David, and King Basha is the king of the north. So look at, uh, let's look at uh, verse, or excuse me, chapter 16. We'll read verses 1 through 9 quickly. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, the king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. Here, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, or the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and, not, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians, Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the, eye of the Lord, eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly, and therefore from now on you shall have wars. So you remember this was uh, his descent into sin, and it, uh, it began, at least in our text, with a lack of faith. Uh, rather than trusting in God like he had years earlier when he was threatened uh, by the Ethiopians with an army that outnumbered his uh, over two to one, and God gave him a great victory... Instead of, instead of trusting in God against Israel and Syria, uh, he decides to fall back on his, on his own wisdom and craftiness. And so he, he takes the money out of his house, and then worse, the house of God. He robbed the treasury of the temple, and he basically bribes the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, to break his treaty with Basha, king of, North, uh, of Israel, and to turn on him. And so uh, King Ben-Hadad was glad to oblige. Uh, he took the money and turned on his former ally, the king of Israel, and ended up unleashing violence and mayhem on those people. And so we see in this Asa's downward spiral into sin. Now, again, up to this point, up before Hanani comes to him, no doubt he's, th- he's thought that this, this plan went off beautifully. Uh, he's, he's now, um, he's, he's hobbled his enemy to the north. He's got a new ally in Ben-Hadad. Now, it did cost him a fortune, but it's turned out pretty good for him because King Basha has withdrawn from Ramah. He's no longer fortifying it. And so Asa sends his men up to take those building materials, the stone and the timber. And then Asa um, fortifies his own cities on the border. So from his standpoint, Things have gone pretty well, but the thing is, they weren't going well because Asa had sinned against God in doing this. 
And so um, we, we, we went into point number two, the progress of backsliding or of Asa's backsliding. And uh, God sends Hanani, the prophet, to confront him with this. Just like years earlier, God sent Nathan the prophet to David to confront him with his backsliding. But Asa had a different reaction than his great-great-grandfather. Look at verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. So God in mercy sends his prophet Hanani to Asa to confront him with his sins. says, you have done foolishly. Why didn't you rely on me, Asa, like you did years ago when the Ethiopians threatened you? If you had, the Syrians would never have been a problem. They, but now they've escaped from your hand. You have done foolishly. What was Asa's response? He refuses to repent. In fact, it's even worse than that. It wasn't that uh, he didn't say, well, Hannah and I, give me some time to think about this. It wasn't even a, a, a passive, peaceful stubbornness. But no, he flies into a rage. He's now angry at God's prophet for coming and telling him the truth. He's enraged at him, and he casts him in prison. So he, he arrests the, the man of God and he throws him in prison, and he and and uh, he persecutes him. Now, that's a somewhat typical, typical response to persecute the messenger, right? Um, sometimes God's messengers—that's the reaction they get. They're delivering, faithfully delivering the message from God, but as the messenger, they're the ones that are 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 persecuted. Well, why did Asa do that? Well, we know he's already backslidden. In fact, last week I, I conjectured that even before this threat from Basha, Asa's probably already on the path to backsliding just because he's, he's growing spiritually cold. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm reading something into that, but I, just, I have to think to this man, because he was so godly and had such an ungodly reaction when Basha threatened him, that he's probably already begun to slide. Oftentimes it just starts as a real soft slide where we, we kind of kind of leave off our prayers, leave off our time in the Word of God, and, and just slowly but surely we're, we're backsliding and growing lukewarm and cold. So I think that's what was, had, was happening prior to this event even taking place. But now, I mean, he's, he's, he's flying in a rage. Why? Well, maybe he, was, he had been proud of what happened, and he, maybe he uh, convinced himself that God had put his stamp of approval on the scheme, because after all, Judah seems to have come out on the, on the good end of, of all this. But, so, but now he is absolutely incensed and enraged that Hannah and I had, that had the gall to come and to accuse him of sin. Matthew Henry comments on this. He says, is this Asa? Is this he whose heart was perfect with the Lord all his days? Well, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. A wise man and yet in a rage? An Israelite and yet in a rage with a prophet? A good man and yet impatient of reproof and that cannot bear to be told of his faults? Lord, what is man when God leaves him to himself? Those that idolize their own conduct cannot bear contradiction, and those that indulge a peevish, passionate temper may be transported by it into impieties as well as into indecencies and will, sometime or other, fly in the face of God himself. End of quote. Uh, Matthew Henry's right. What a, what a sad but, but true ob- observation. Um, 
genuine believers at times backslide. And even worse, in that backsliding, sometimes they refuse correction and rebuke. Asa should have remembered what his great-grandfather wrote in Ecclesiastes 4.13. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. That just seems to describe Asa's situation to a T. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more, who refuses to be rebuked or warned. Here, God in, in mercy sends Hanani to, to, to Asa to call him to repent, and he should have fallen on his knees right then and confessed and sought forgiveness like David his father had done years earlier. And God would have forgiven him. God would have forgiven him. Psalm 86.5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God would have forgiven him on the spot. Now, he would have still forfeited blessings. There are earthly consequences to our sin, but but God would have forgiven him. He would have been restored to fellowship with God. By God's grace, he could recover and move forward, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. David had also written in Psalm 141.5, let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness, and let him rebuke me. It shall be as an ex- excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. David took the, took, took the view that if I'm in sin and a righteous man comes and, and strikes me, that's a, that's a picturesque way of, of saying rebukes me. That's what he says, let him rebuke me. He says, it'll be like an excellent oil on my head. I don't need to refuse it. I need to thank God for it. But Asa took a a much different route. He not only refused to be corrected, he flew into a rage. And so he is just confirmed in a backslidden condition. Listen, when you and I backslide, maybe God help us not to. But if we do, we need to hear correction, whether it comes through the Holy Spirit speaking through our conscience or through a, through a, a fellow believer or a, a, a sermon. Um, we, need to, we need to right then fall on our knees and repent and don't compound it by delaying or refusing to, to repent. We need to see it as a mercy. Our Lord Jesus, uh, in sending his messages to the seven churches in Revelation 3.19, he said this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He says, I love you, and therefore, I rebuke you and chasten you. So repent. God's call to repent is a demonstration of his love for his people. But Asa wants none of it. He wants none of it. Not only does he refuse to repent and confess, he flies into a rage. He imprisons the prophet who came with a message of God. And it's even worse because the end of verse 10 says, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Now, we're not given details about that, so that may be something unrelated to what's going on here, um, but uh, it, it may be connected. It may be that some of his counselors or some of the people came to Asa and pleaded with him, Sir, 
listen to Hanani. Listen to him and don't persecute him. And it may be that, that, uh, that Asa flies in a rage at them too for taking the prophet's side. We, we just don't know exactly why he oppressed the people. But what we see here is, is when a man is eaten up with anger and bitterness, um, he is going to end up, he's going to end up directing that to others as well. He's mad at Hanani. Uh, but he's uh, directing it at others as well. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty two says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. So um, it, 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 when we find ourselves angry or in any sin, we need to ask God, to, to forgive us and to give us grace to, to, to cut it off. Because if we don't, it's just going to keep, it's going to keep spreading and it's going to break out even in other forms of sin and more extreme forms of the sins we're already c- committing. So we, we, we need to have a, we need to have a no tolerance policy of sin in our lives. Uh, we need to, we need to see, seek God's grace uh, for forgiveness and to overcome it. Otherwise, it's going to just keep spreading like a disease. Jeremiah 5, 3 says, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. That's Asa to a T at this point in his life. Let's go on now to point number three, the cost of Asa's backsliding. Point number three, the cost of Asa's backsliding. Asa found out, and we need to understand that there is a terrible cost of persisting in disobedience to the Lord, uh, sometimes a terrible one. Uh, Going back to the London Baptist Confession of Faith, I want to read read on what is said in that. Uh, Again, it's said that saints uh, may fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. And then it goes on and says this, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and their comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. So the confession acknowledges this can happen, but this is what a believer risks when he backslides. Uh, Displeasing God, grieving His Holy Spirit, which is the worst thing. Um, having their graces and comforts impaired, which means that you start to lose your peace and assurance. Um, Your heart will get further hardened, conscience is wounded, hurt and scandalize others because because our our witness is undermined when we persist in sin. The watching world sees us and it undermines our testimonies. Um, Brings temporal judgments upon themselves, meaning God's discipline. We risk God having to chastise us when we persevere in backsliding. There is always a price and often a bitter one. when we backslide. Now, before we look at verses 12 through 14, I want to back up and pull up some of the costs that we've already seen to Asa. In verse 7, God said, Because you did not rely on me, therefore the army of Syria is escaped out of your hand. The implication is this. Remember that Asa was scared that, Assyria, that, that, that Syria was going to attack Judah along with Israel, and he was he was scared, and he didn't act in faith. But what the prophet is saying: Had you acted in faith and trusted God rather than bribing a pagan king to break his alliance and help you instead, had you done that, the Syrian army would not have escaped. 
The implication being that, yes, Asa, war, full war may have broken out and Ben-Hadad may have brought his full fury upon your kingdom, but I would have given you victory over them and they would not have escaped. You would have had a wonderful victory. And so we see here that at the very lowest level, Asa forfeited a blessing by his, by his backsliding. He, would have, he, he forfeited a blessing. But it was even worse than that because at the end of verse 9, Hanani says, "...in this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars." In other words, Asa, from now on, you're going to have war and no peace. I would have given you victory and you would have had peace, but from now on, there's going to be continual war. Who knows, maybe Ben-Hadad would have broken his treaty once again and, and turned on Asa anyway. So destruction, loss of life. And so Asa's lack of faith and his resulting sins caused him to forfeit blessings and to incur the cost now of perpetual war. And uh, brothers and sisters, you and I in a similar way, when we fall into sin and we persist in it, we forfeit blessings and we, in a sense, will have perpetual wars as well. Let me tell you what I mean here. God completely forgives. God completely forgives the backsliding child that comes and confesses completely. If we conf- John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's, 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 it's full and perfect forgiveness. And God says, I'll remember their sins no more. It doesn't mean that God now has a lapse in memory. It just means that he does not hold them against us anymore. But Satan does. Satan does. The devil, that word means accuser. Revelation 12, 10, accuser. And you can be sure that Satan is going to dredge that stuff back up at times in your life. He's going to try to to pull you back and, and make you focus on that period when you disobeyed God and you backslid. And he's going to try to plant seeds of doubt in your mind. Do you really think God still loves you? Do you really think he forgave you after what you did to him? Or if he did forgive you, Don't you think you have materially damaged your relationship with him going forward and it'll never be what it was and he'll never be able to use you again? Those are the kind of destructive lies that Satan will tell a completely forgiven child of God. And unfortunately, when we do backslide, when we allow ourselves to fall into rebellion against God, even though we are forgiven, when we confess... Satan will dredge that stuff up, and then we're having to fight battles we never should have had to have fought, or we never needed to have fought. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking to you from personal experience, folks. I know, I know this because I, I've, I've had Satan attack me that way. I, I know what it's like to have to fight battles that I never would have had to have fought had I obeyed. So we, we, have, to, we have to understand that, lack of, that, 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 that kind of thing right there is bad enough. If we suffered nothing else from backsliding than just forfeiting blessings and having, having 
future conflicts where Satan comes and attacks us for what we did, that's bad enough. Now again, not that God doesn't forgive. God forgives completely, and by faith we need to hold on to that. We need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. God promised me full forgiveness. I am forgiven. His love for me has not changed. It's an everlasting love. I am accepted in Christ. But we really don't want to have to fight that particular battle. We've got so many others to fight. Well, Asa forfeited a blessing, and he now is going to have continual wars rather than victory and peace, but it's even worse than that. Look at verse 12. And in the 39th year of his reign, so this is about what, two or three years later, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was very severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So you see, Asa is persisting in sin, and so God is persisting in discipline. God now is disciplining Asa with this severe malady of his feet. Um, When we persist in sin, we force our heavenly Father's hands. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, Jesus said to the churches. Keep your place in 2 Chronicles 16 and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews was, we're not sure. He said, beginning in verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For indeed they, our earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, our heavenly father, for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's not fun to be spanked, but there's a good end to that. There's a good end to that. God is correcting us. He is leading us to repentance and to then get us going forward again. We're no longer backslidden. We're going forward again, growing in practical righteousness and holiness. Now, the book of Hebrews was written centuries after Asa, but uh, the book of Hebrews is quoting Asa's great-grandfather from Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, "'Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him.'" And so God is now sending forms of discipline, a horrible disease in his, in his feet. Asa, we could say Asa was not walking in repentance and faith and obedience, and so, so now he's not going to be able to walk physically as a reminder of it and as a form of, of discipline. Uh, the Scripture presents this as a constant condition, this disease. It's a worsen, worsening pain and severity, and eventually... He's probably unable to walk, and so he's having to have his servants carry him around. And it says, yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. 
So Asa has been afflicted with a terrible disease in his feet. He's got constant worsening pain. He's probably unable to walk, yet it says that even then he did not seek the Lord. He didn't turn to the Lord. It says he turned to the physicians. Now, a couple things here that we need to be aware of. Number one, we are not to take from this that all sickness and disease is a form of discipline on somebody. It is not. We can say that in general, all human suffering does come from the general condition of man and his fallen condition, but we cannot say that a particular disease is a particular discipline on a particular sin with a particular individual. Not at all. In this case, it was, and it can be. Um, But it is not always the case. We could probably say safely that most of the time it's not the case. The next thing we need to say is this. There is nothing wrong or unscriptural about using the services of a doctor or health professionals. We should not read in here that because Asa uh, sought the, the doctors but not the Lord, that that means that doctors are wrong. Not at all. We thank God for them. You look in the New Testament, and we know that Luke, who wrote the gospel and wrote the book of Acts, was a physician. And in Colossians 4.14, he is called the beloved physician. So there's nothing wrong with using the services of health professionals. We thank God for them, but we should not look to them as God. We should look to them as instruments and pray that God would be pleased to use them in the process of our recovery and healing. But Asa didn't do that. Asa didn't do that. He just went straight to the doctors and did not turn to the Lord. Now, going back to David, during that time when he was in a backslidden condition after the Bathsheba incident, he started also to feel physical the physical impact of his sin. It wasn't just that his spirit dried up. He began to grow weak physically and have physical manifestations of his, of his spiritual condition. But here's what he said again in Psalm 32. When I kept silent, when I refused to repent, my time of backsliding, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But David, again, responded differently when the prophet came. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. But the great-great-grandson didn't do that. He persisted in his sin and needless misery. It was needless. He didn't have to continue with diseased feet and continue in anger and bitterness. But Proverbs 14, 14 says, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. He got, he got basically what he wanted because he didn't want to repent. You might call that the insanity of sin. Sin is insane. We do it to our, our own hurt and the hurt of others. The, the, the Asa's problem was not really his physical disease. It's that he was... He was eaten up with a spiritual disease, stubbornness and bitterness and anger and a refusal to repent. You know, at some point he started drifting away from the Lord, and then by the time this episode in his life occurs, he's living life as though there is no God. It's like, Asa, why didn't you turn to God when Basha fortified Ramah? Asa, why aren't you turning to God? Your feet are eaten up and you can't even walk. But he refused to do so. And so he brought a lot of suffering and misery on himself and worse 
on others as well. Well, we get to the final verses there, 13 and 14, and Asa dies. Uh, in, the, in the language of the Old Testament, uh, so Asa rested with his fathers. That means he died. He rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So Asa had already prepared a tomb for himself during his lifetime. And that's not, that, that doesn't necessarily mean he was proud and arrogant. I don't think this is a thing like the Egyptian pharaohs who enslaved thousands of people to build the pyramids and these elaborate, uh, uh, elaborate structures as a testimony to how great they were. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I think it was just what kings did and what a lot of people do is they make arrangements during their lifetime for their death. Uh, we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Joseph of Arimathea, a just man. He had prepared a tomb for himself for when he died, and he ended up uh, giving it to Christ or loaning it to Christ. It was only used for three days. Um, we do that today. Some of you have, have no doubt purchased burial plots. You're making arrangements now to make it easier on your, survi- your survivors. But uh, Asa had made a tomb. And they, uh, they very lovingly prepare his body and lay him in the coffin and, and bury him. And folks, I think it is very significant that the people of Judah give him a royal and honorable burial. They go to extravagant expense um, to do this and, and so much energy and activity. And there are people, including Charles Spurgeon, who believe that this is maybe a little indication that on his deathbed, Asa did repent. Um, We know he's a just man. We know he's in heaven now because of the testimony of Scripture. Whether that happened or not, uh, this this implies that they loved Asa. They respected their king despite the spiritual decline of the last five years of, of his life. They knew what the Holy Spirit would attest to in Scripture, that he overall was a godly man and he had led his people faithfully. So uh, in his latter years, his lack of faith had uh, brought on needless war and oppression and a lot of other things. But overall, under Asa, they had enjoyed peace and prosperity and strength. And most importantly, they experienced uh, a life under a king who, for the most part, led them in a greater devotion of Jehovah God. So we, we want to remember we want to remember this sad incident in his life as a warning, but we also want to remember the good things in Asa's life. Again, going back to Matthew Henry, he wrote, I am willing to believe that this funeral pomp was rather an expression of the great respect his people retained for him, notwithstanding the failings and infirmities of his latter days. It was agreed to do him honor at his death. Note, The eminent piety and usefulness of good men ought to be remembered to their praise, though they have had their blemishes. Let their faults be buried in their graves, while their services are remembered over their graves. He that said, There is not a just man that doeth good and sinneth not, yet said also, The memory of the just is blessed, and let it be so. We certainly hope that... uh, People will remember us for the good that God did in our lives and not those times where we rebelled or backslid. So 
the, the testimony of the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of, of uh, 1 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 16 and other passages dealing with Asa, um, they attest that he was a true child of God. Now, had they not told us that, you and I might wonder, looking at this little portion of his life, we might say, was he really saved? And that, again, is one of the ill effects of backsliding is that people look at us and say, is he really saved? Is she really saved? And we might even begin questioning ourselves. But he was, and so God in great grace honors the totality of Asa's life. And yet, the Holy Spirit committed this to the eternal word of God as a warning to us against backsliding. That Asa was a true child of God and that he was forgiven, that he is in heaven now, should not make us lax. It shouldn't make us careless. What it ought to do is light a fire under us in the face of God's great grace and in reverential terror of bringing down his displeasure on us, um, but, but ultimately in response to his love. We should want to walk with him in love and faithfulness and consistency. You know, we want to we be the kind of people who can, cut, who can be like Paul on the eve of his execution, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. We want to seek God's grace to end well. We don't want to end like Asa. We want to end well. And with that, folks, beware of backsliding. Be in a holy terror of backsliding. But if you are today backslidden, you are a genuine believer, know that your Heavenly Father loves you. He loves you, and it doesn't matter what you've done. It's not going to impact that love. It's grievous. It's bad. It's horrible. But God will forgive, and He offers you forgiveness. He commands you to repent and to come back. Jeremiah 3.22 says, Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. And this is how they responded. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. You have that promise. And then Hosea 14.4, he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. There's nothing they did to earn my love. I love them because I love them. They can't, they, can't, they can't make me stop loving them. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. It has turned away in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And if you've never come to Christ, if you've never come to Christ, will you not come today? Will you not repent of your sins for the first time? Will you, will you repent and turn your back on those sins and understand that they displeased God, they're bringing down the wrath of God on you, but yet God is gracious and merciful and willing to forgive you because of what Christ did on the cross for sinners? Repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll forgive you, have a home in heaven, and he'll give you grace to live this life and honor and glory of him. Let's pray.
Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, your love for us that was displayed supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, your people, Lord, to beware lest we fall. May we always look to you for grace to hold us up and to walk humbly with you, Lord. And when we do sin, oh God, may we, may we have soft hearts before you by the work of the Holy Spirit within and repent to seek your forgiveness and the grace to move forward once again. And Lord, if there is anyone here today among us who has not been saved, we pray, Lord, that in your grace and your power, you would open up the heart and mind of that one and uh, cause him or cause her to, to see the truth of the gospel and enable that one to run to Christ in repentance and faith to your glory and the salvation of his or her soul. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.